The following resource is from DesiringGod.org. This morning we went so fast over the issues of manhood and womanhood that I thought it might be helpful to direct you to uh, the place where you could follow up if you wanted to. I, I, I mentioned the big blue book that Matt Chandler pointed to for his commitment to these things and uh, that big blue book is available at the Desiring God website for free, meaning you can get a PDF of it, 560 pages, and the first chapter of it that I wrote is a separate little book called What's the Difference, where most of what I was saying by way of defining headship and submission and leadership and marriage and those things uh, is in that, that little book or the first chapter. So the Earl is desiringgod.org forward slash blue book. We created it this afternoon so that if you want to go there and get it, you could, you could even just do it on your phone right now and you'll have a, a big blue book on your phone by the time we're, we're done. So uh, even though we went by it real quick, there is more there than you'll be able to digest in a long time. I hope you do it. Let me pray one more time. Father in heaven, here we are now, one gospel, one passion, one mission. And my, my longing for these young people is that because of their time together here in the word, in worship, in fellowship with each other, playing with each other, that the whole conference together would have the effect that stories would be told 20, 30, 40 years from now that at the Christmas conference of Campus Outreach 2015, my world was changed. A trajectory of my life was given. A mission that I've never abandoned to this day. So, Lord, I pray that expectations in this room now for life direction would not be small but large. And that many in this room would document the fruitfulness of their lives to a trajectory in Christ that was set significantly, if not decisively, by this time together. So Holy Spirit, come and do exceedingly and abundantly more than most of us are able to expect. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first message, the focus is on one gospel, one mediator between God and man, one way to the Father through Jesus Christ one name by which we must be saved, one event in history that dealt decisively with the biggest problem that human beings have, namely their own sin and the wrath of God against it, and that event being the slaughter of the Lamb of God for sinners so that everyone whose name is in the book will be covered by the blood and will be imparted by God enabling to keep them from worshiping the beast or anything else that would keep them out of heaven. 
And second, the one passion that grows up, rises up out of that one gospel, namely a passion for the glory of Jesus Christ, supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying passion in a saved soul, in a not-yet-saved world, which can be summed up as sorrowful, yet always indomitably, invincibly rejoicing. I closed that message this morning by saying there were two implications that would shape the mission that we're going to talk about now. So let me rehearse those two implications more fully and then show you what kind of mission follows. And I'm talking about a mission here that applies to everybody. I'm not talking about the details of whether you're a high school teacher or a homemaker or an engineer. I'm talking about the mission that belongs to the very nature of being a follower of Jesus. That mission grows out of, like fruit on a tree, grows out of these two implications of what we've seen in the first two messages. So number one, God's pursuit of his glory and his pursuit of your joy are not two pursuits, but one pursuit. In pursuing his glory, he pursues your joy in that glory, because when you rejoice in his glory, you show the glory to be really glorious. So his glory rises and your joy rises together. That's the implication. Let me show you that a little more fully. If you go to the last night of Jesus' life, you find him praying and he says this. This is John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour namely the hour of his death. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So what's the purpose for which Jesus came to the hour of his death? Shall I ask to be delivered from this hour? No. For this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, do it. Perform the purpose. Bring it to consummation. Father, glorify your name. So we can say very clearly, God sent Jesus Christ to die in order to glorify the Father. And the reason that had to happen is because you and I have trampled on that glory. We do it every day. When you don't love the glory of God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and live as though it were the greatest value in the universe, you demean the glory of God and you do it every day. You did it before you were a Christian. You do it after you're a Christian. If we don't have Jesus repairing the glory of God, showing how really great and glorious it is, we don't have any hope. That's what he did. He came to glorify 
the Father. That's why he died. So God is on a mission in Jesus Christ to glorify God. However, you also know even more familiarly that he died so that you would have eternal life of joy. For example, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And what does the Bible teach we find when we go into the presence of God? Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you into everlasting happiness. He died for the glory of God. He died for your everlasting happiness in the presence of God. And I'm arguing these are not separate designs. But same. Because when you find your fullest satisfaction in God, God is shown to be glorious. You know this. We talked about this already. Just from your own practical experience, what you find most pleasure in, you're making the most of. And if you find most pleasure in God, you make the most of God. Therefore, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. That's the first implication from what we've seen so far. Now, there's another one. Therefore, you may not, dare not, should not minimize or diminish your commitment to pursue your joy in God. If you treat joy in God as icing on the cake of Christianity or as a caboose on the train of Christianity or as somehow something marginal, an extra add-on, then you treat the glory of God as marginal and an add-on. It's not. If God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him, then your life vocation is to pursue satisfaction in Him. All the time, till the day you die. And it is a major warfare. It's the major warfare of my life. My main warfare every day is to have my heart happy in God. Because if my heart is satisfied in God, the, the root of other sinful temptations is severed. You conquer sin by a superior satisfaction, right? Nobody sins out of duty. So why does anybody sin? Because it feels good. That's all. It feels good to sin. Nobody sins. I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to do some sins today. I don't want to do any sins, but I should. I will do some sins. Nobody does that. You sin because you want to. So how do you conquer a want to? By a bigger want to. You can try to conquer it with a should not. 
that's what we're hearing in these testimonies. When people say, I grew up in a Christian home, thought I was a Christian, didn't act like a Christian. All that's a should not stuff, right? We just should not do this and should not do that. And I'm creating my whole life around a bunch of should nots and no want tos, no loves, no passions at all for God. Just a bunch of should nots here. Nobody's a Christian by that. So, pursue your happiness in God with all your might. That's implication number two. Now, implicit, I'm arguing, implicit in those two implications, that God's pursuit of his glory and God's pursuit of your joy are one pursuit because he's more glorified when you're satisfied in him than when you're not. And God is not glorified in the soul that is not satisfied in God. And therefore, you should pursue your joy in God 24-7 till the rest of your life, till you're at home in his presence where it will be no more battle anymore. Those two implications carry a mission statement. What is it? Now, I've got a long version here to read to you and a short version because you can't remember the long version. It's too complicated. But I'm going to read it anyway because I want to unpack it because the details matter. So here's the, here's the one mission that grows out of the one gospel and the one passion and these implications. The one supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying mission of your life, this is all of you now who are, are Christian or hope to be Christian. The one supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying mission of your life is to joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate words and deeds declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is more precious than life and thus to help all people including all ethnic groups and all religions discover that the glory of Christ is their only hope of everlasting joy. That's why you exist. That's why you're on the planet. That's why you're a student where you are. That's why you are male or female. That's why you're a child in the family you're in with the parents that you have or have lost. That's why you have the major you have at the school where you are. It's for that to happen. Here's the short version. Your mission is to show that the glory of Christ is better than life. Your mission is to live, to live so as to show that the glory of Christ is better than being alive. Your mission is not to stay alive. It's not your mission. You can fulfill your mission as well by dying as living. Maybe better by dying. I just called dear friend Seth Noon because I got a text. She was in the hospital with pneumonia and maybe something more serious. We had a good time together because she's ready. She's old like I am, only 15 years older than I am. And she wants me to do her funeral someday. And I said, I'm racing you to heaven, ma'am. 
I may beat you there. You live forever. So she may glorify Christ and show that he's better than life in death soon. Or maybe not. God controls those things. Now, I want to put Bible under that. So I've just, I've given you the conclusion. Now, there's got to put some Bible under it because my word <laughs> is not to be taken for granted. But God's word. But before I go to the Bible and give you some passages of Scripture where I got that mission for your life, I want to put it in the contemporary context one more time like I did at the beginning last night. I've got two things that throw into relief, strong relief, why I'm saying it the way I'm saying it because of the moment we live in right now in in America. So I mentioned last night that on December 4, a president of a, of a big uh, Christian university and one of the students, at least one here, said she goes there. Um, so he stands up in front of 10,000 students in the arena and he says this. These are the exact words. I've always thought if more good people had concealed carry permits then we could end those Muslims before they walked in here, meaning the terrorists in San Bernardino. But I don't think that was a very helpful way to say it. I told him so on the telephone, in case you think I'm talking behind his back. We're friends. I know him. I didn't like what he said. I told him that too. I just want to take this opportunity to encourage, this is still the present talking, I want to take, I want to tell you 10,000 students, at least those over 21, because that's when you can get your concealed carry, I just want to take this opportunity to encourage all of you to get your permit, we offer a free course, and let's teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. Students, not all, but thousands, were just wild with cheering coming out of their seats, which made me weep. Now, I'm, I'm challenging you, you little 400, not 10,000. I'm challenging you, and I think God is challenging you, to have a different mindset about the mission of your life. Those words, I think, fundamentally distort the mission Jesus gives to his people. You are called to live in a way that shows that the glory of Christ is better than life. Better than staying alive. But those words from that president cultivate a mindset that says, anyone who expects to kill me for being a, a Christian at, or a student at a Christian university can expect to find a bullet in his chest before I get one in mine. I don't think that will communicate that Christ is better than life to anybody. That's illustration number one and why I'm saying what I'm saying. Number two, on December 10, the Vatican, the papal authority of the Roman Catholic Church, published a new document called the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's a quote from Romans 11. 
In it, they said this as official Roman Catholic teaching, which is simply, to my mind, appalling. Quote, the Catholic Church neither conducts nor supports any specific institutional mission work directed toward Jews. End quote. In other words, any missionary effort to share Christ with your Jewish friends in order to persuade them that Jesus is their Messiah, crucified for their sins, risen again, ready to give them eternal life, if they would believe, is wrong. It's wrong for you to try to do that. I think that's wicked. Demonic. I think that, doc, that document is demonic. Satan is doing handsprings in hell when we say it's wrong to evangelize Jewish people. What's behind it? The belief that they'll be saved anyway. There's another route, not through Jesus, but another route that the Jewish people can go. Whereas 1 John 2.23 says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Or here's Jesus who's talking to and about his Jewish kinsmen. John 5.23, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So if you don't honor the Father and you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. Now, say that again. If you don't honor the Son and, and have the Son, you don't honor the Father and have the Father, which means you don't know God. You don't have God. You're lost. So this is way worse than telling 10,000 students to blow out the Muslims before they blow out you. This is telling people, go to hell. They don't believe that, but de facto, de facto, that's what it's saying. And so that's informing right now as I talk to you. That's informing what I feel. And what I'm saying to you is your mission in life, okay? So you know where I'm coming from. I've just been steamed in these last few weeks with the kind of stuff that is being spoken by very strong, globally influential leaders. I'm challenging you to help all people all ethnic groups and all religions, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs, Jewish people, atheists, you name it, I'm challenging you to sacrificially lay your life down to show them Christ is better than staying alive. That's what I want you to do. That's what I think God wants you to do. So let me read the long version again. The one supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying mission of your life is to joyfully, that's an important word for me, and sacrificially, and those are not contradictory, 
joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is more precious than life and thus to help all people everywhere of all religion, all ethnic groups discover, taste, see that the glory of Christ is their only hope of everlasting happiness. That's why you live. That's why you exist. Let's put Bible underneath that. First Peter, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to pick up on the word declare. So I've said we joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is more precious than life. So let's take the word declare. Where'd you get that, Piper? I got it from 1 Peter 2, 9. It goes like this. But you, you Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I ask you, why are you chosen by God? Why are you made a royal, kingly priesthood in the courts of the king of the universe? Why are you set apart as holy for God? Why has he made you his treasured possession? Why has he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Why, 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 why? And the answer is crystal clear. That you may with your mouth declare the excellencies. That's just another word for glories of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were chosen and made a child of God and a priest to God and a treasured possession of God that on your campus and in your family and around the world you might open your mouth and talk about the glories of Christ and how they are way superior to being alive. The, the last thing that the world should think about Christians is they preserve their lives at all costs. No, we don't. We're very ready to lay them down if somebody would see that Christ is more precious than life. That's why we live. That's why we die. More precious than life. Declare it. Now, it, it doesn't say in that text that the glories are more precious than life. It just says, you are chosen, you are his, you are a royal priesthood, you are a treasured possession, that you may declare the excellencies. And I'm adding that those excellencies are better than life. Where, where, where's that coming from, Piper? It's coming from Luke 21 and a lot of other places, but let me read this one. Luke 21, we'll start at verse 12. Jesus is talking. He says to his disciples, You will be brought before kings and governors for my sake. This will be a time, an opportunity to bear witness. He so paused and say, 
witness. About what? And you fill in from 1 Peter, about the glories and the excellencies of the one you are arrested for. This is amazing. If you ever get arrested for being a Christian, you're on assignment. That's what it says. You're on assignment. You don't stand there saying, God, did I get here? It's clear how you got there. God put you there. Because it says, you will be before kings. You will be before governors. This will be for a witness. That's the purpose. And you open your mouth and you witness to the glories of the one for whom you live and for whom you die. And then comes the key verses in verse 16. Luke 21, 16. Some of you, Jesus says, some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. <laughs> what? Some of you they will kill. Not a hair of your head will perish. Like what? You, you can move your hair so that the sword will just kind of go cleanly through your neck. Don't want to mess up my hair as I get beheaded. Probably not. It's a radical way of saying, of course some of you are going to die for me. I, I tell you that you are. But I'm telling you, I have you so much in my care. It's as if not one hair is ruffled as you enter paradise. Not one hair. Welcome home. And then it adds, verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Christ is better than life because Christ is life now and beyond. You don't lose your life after all, right? <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. I love that verse. That's Jesus standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus. He's not dead. He's just in there rotten for four days. But I will now open my mouth because I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. And the dead obey. And you will obey out of the grave as well. It's a glorious thing to be a Christian. Your calling, your mission is to so declare the excellencies that you show him to be better than life. That's my first explanation of the word declare. Now let's turn to the word demonstrate. So the, the, the big definition, the big description of your mission is that it is to declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is better than life. So where am I getting the word demonstrate? I've showed you where I got the word declare. 1 Peter 2.9, better than life. Luke 21. And now where did I get the word demonstrate. There's a way to live. There's a way to use your hands and your mouth and your legs 
your energy, your time. There's a way to use all that so that it shows his superior value over life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. There, there are a lot of places we could go. This is one of my favorites. I just love this text. Take every chance I get to talk about it because I want to be this so bad. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth uh, to prepare them for a collection that he's taking for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he's already collected in Macedonia, where Philippi is, and they were very generous, and he's going to show the saints in Corinth what happened in Macedonia, so they'd be stirred up to be generous as he comes to Corinth. This is what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So we want you to know what the effect was in Macedonia when God's grace came on that place. So he's preaching, and it comes on Lydia, and it comes on the jailer. Remember? It comes on the demon-possessed Zeusayer. So there's three people get converted in Acts 16 in Philippi, where Macedonia surrounds. Verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, this is not declaration. This is demonstration. They're forking out money big time. Enormous amounts of money are being given to the poor for the collection. That's what I mean by demonstration. Lavish generosity. And the question is, what's it demonstrating? And verse 1 says, God poured out grace on Macedonia. People were converted. It had an amazing effect. And then comes verse 2. In a severe test of affliction, so things weren't going well for these new believers. Affliction came immediately. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, so poverty hadn't gone away. Affliction went up. Poverty stayed. And between the two, explosive joy. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Where did that come from? Well, it says, the abundance of joy is where it came from. The abundance of joy overflowed. Joy in what? Security? They're being afflicted. They don't have any. Wealth? No. Extreme poverty. It's just like Paul is laboring to help us see the joy that is overflowing in a demonstration of the value of Jesus isn't based on things going well at all. They're going terrible. They're being afflicted, and they're poor, and they're like a Vesuvius of joy begging Paul to let them 
take another offering. So it says later in verse 4, please take another offering from us so that we can sacrifice more in our poverty for the poor there because our joy is overflowing. And the only place to look for that joy is verse 1. The grace of God was shown. The grace landed on these people and they saw the wrath of God is removed. Sins are forgiven. Hell is taken away as a threat. Heaven is opened as an inheritance. (laughs) Let me give something. Let me give. Let me give. I'm so happy to be saved. That's where it came from. So, my point is, your mission in life is to declare, 1 Peter 2, 9, and demonstrate, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, that the glory of Christ has made you more happy than you could be with the removal of affliction, or than you could be by the removal of poverty, or you could be by staying alive. It's more precious than life, and I think that's clear from these texts. One last clarification. No, no, before I give the clarification, almost passed over verse 12 of 1 Peter 2. Verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, people of God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into light. And now in verse 12, just three verses later, he talks about what effect we hope this has on the people who watch us declare and demonstrate the excellencies. And and let me read the verse to you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. That's what we were seeing in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what we're after. We don't want people to see us make our sacrifice or do our good deed and say, whoa, you're somebody. That would miss the whole point. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not to you. And I think the key to deflecting praise of us is by being so happy in Christ in the midst of affliction that they have to ask, what are you hoping in? You're not hoping in money, clearly. You're not hoping in security and the absence of affliction, clearly. You're not hoping in staying alive like I am, clearly. What are you hoping in? And the answer is, we're hoping in the glory of Christ. We're going to see him. He satisfies. Money doesn't. Comfort and security don't. 
being alive without him doesn't. Now, one last dimension to this mission of yours. We live in a world and a country where racial and ethnic hostilities, hatreds, prejudices are seemingly as rampant as they've ever been in the world. There have been wonderful changes in America. I mean, I grew up in South Carolina in the 50s and 60s. Things are better, believe me, they're better. But, good night. Good night. What, if you, if you take the, the global situation as well as explosive points in America, racism and ethnocentrism and white supremacy, and it's just rampant. And tragically, in a lot of so-called conservative Christians. So I'm, I'm making plain now that the last part of your mission is to extend your prayer, your hope, your goal in, in wanting to show, to demonstrate, to declare the glories of Christ. You're, you're trying to extend it for the sake of including in your eternal happiness every religion and every racial group and every ethnicity and every class. May, may it be never numbered among you that you with your mouth or with your action speak in such a way as to give the impression that your group, your class, your color are somehow privileged to have a right to this and nobody else does. What a horrible way to present Jesus. When the book of Revelation, so we'll end, end here, we began here, we'll end here. When the book of, of Revelation celebrates the work of Christ, the gospel, the passion, the mission of Christ. Here's how it does it. This is Revelation 5, 9. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So there you hear the slain Lamb. Chapter 5, just like we got over in chapter 13, verse 8. The book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Now here's, here's, here's the praise of heaven. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because... He was slain and ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. If you don't want to reign alongside people of every color, every beard shape, Paul Ryan is being slaughtered because he looks like he has a Middle Eastern beard. you believe that? Sometimes I just want to pack my bags and leave this country. If you don't want to go to heaven with red and yellow, black and white, with people from the Middle East, in every tone of brown, Men and women, educated and uneducated, 
If you don't want to be in heaven with every manner of diversity of human beings, then you don't want to be with Jesus. Because it says he was slain. And he has ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made them, us, a kingdom. Priests, fellow priests to God. And they shall reign together on the earth forever. So let me read it one last time. Well, maybe I'll start at the top and, and summarize all three talks in two minutes. One gospel, undomesticated, jagged, suited for the best of times and the worst of times, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of everyone whose name is in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain, which accords perfectly with everyone who believes in the Lamb. You can know your name is in the book by how you respond to the Lamb on the cover. Second, one passion, the glory of Christ, supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying, treasure of all treasures, pleasure of all pleasures, so that the saved soul can say in a not-yet-saved world, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And finally, one mission, the supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying purpose to joyfully and sacrificially declare with our words, demonstrate with our lives that the glory of Christ is better than life and thus help all people including all religions and all classes to see and savor the glory of Christ as their only hope of everlasting joy. May God do this by his spirit tonight and in your lives. And I was just thinking a couple hours ago that I'm looking at people, most of whom I will never see again, ever in this world. Some of you I will, but most probably never again. And I thought, I, I think I should close by saying, I would really like to see you again in the presence of the Lamb. And I would. And I hope you come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, life is short. Doesn't matter if you live 70, 80, 90 years, it's short. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. One gospel, one passion, one mission to show that you are better than life. Grant, I pray, in this room that there would be hundreds utterly devoted to this gospel, this passion, and this mission for every ethnic group, every religion, every class, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from DesiringGod.org. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy and share from thousands of resources on our site 
including books, sermons, articles, and more, available free of charge. DesiringGod.org exists to help you treasure Jesus more than anything else, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him.